Chapter 4 Religion Opiate For modern mainstream Christianity, that foundation has traditionally been the authorized version or the King James Bible, more properly stated, their interpretation of it. This unquestioning faith or orthodoxy the churches expect of their people also demands the acceptance of their ministers or churches' private inter interpretations or particular spin on any given scripture as well. Even though it's accepted as appropriate, in all honesty, isn't that quite a monumental expectation? Again, the enormity of this expectation is especially heightened when considering how many times the Bible has been copied and translated from a language in which it was originally found, that is, without access to the autograph originals. The ensuing results are literally hundreds of different and very conflicting translations. It's interesting, though, to see the individual doctrines of the various Christian churches are even more varied and conflicting than the translations they are supposedly derived from. Naturally, this has resulted in literally thousands of different Christian sects or cults, large and small. This reality raises another glaring question. How can all the Christian cults or sects so drastically disagree and yet be teaching the truth, that is, of the scriptures? Doesn't it mean there has to be some degree of false teaching and fable in all of them? Is anything less than the whole truth still the truth? Considering the plethora of private interpretations that have spawned so many rival sects, the scriptures have some interesting things to say. The Creator makes a strong statement through his prophet Micah in chapter 3, that is in verse 11, considering both the secular and religious leaders of his people dealing with that very subject. There he says, Her heads judge for a bride, her priests teach for pay and her prophets divine for money. Very strong and interesting words indeed, considering the prevailing conditions in religion and politics today. After all, when a minister preaches for a paycheck, doesn't it prompt one to consider or question his allegiances? To what extent does the money have him dancing to the tune of his puppet masters? In regard to that question, a church father and historian named Origen, or Origen, tells how the ancient teachers such as Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, and Pythagoras all taught and practiced something called double doctrine. They called it esoteric versus exoteric teaching. Esoteric or higher doctrine was what they taught their disciples, and exoteric, or simple, which is simple and contrived doctrine, is what they taught their laity. Obviously, those two doctrines are quite different. Interestingly, many churches still admittedly practice double doctrine to this day. The Dictionary of Religion and Ethics tells of a Roman augur or high official or priest named Cicero commenting how when two augurs met, they could scarce keep from laughing regarding the incredible deception they maintained with their subjects. Does wisdom not dictate we closely examine a religion or church's record of performance before committing the level of faith expected to devote? and not to mention money? In considering a religion's history, including Christianity, there is a wisdom scripture stating, you will know them by their fruits. If we are to place any stock in that sort of wisdom, shouldn't we examine Christianity's historic fruits to determine their true viability? Has Christianity and virtually all religions been leading their followers down a path to true salvation, i.e. immortality, or are they simply the spiritual adversities pied Piper. In examining fruits, an excellent place to begin would be the origin of the word church. 
To that end, it's rather fascinating the way the names and titles reveal something about a person, place, or place even today. It is said that King James himself, in having his 1611 English translation done, insisted his translators replace the Greek word ekklesia, which means called out individuals or ones, with the English word church. But even the Old Testament word for congregation or assembly would have been far more, a far more accurate rendering. In respect to the choice of the word church, a rather interesting piece of trivia is to realize the root of church comes from the same root as the pagan Greek god Circe. Plus, it's from Circe the word circus also originates. The Greek goddess Circe's power was in her ability to enchant and deceive men and turn them into pigs, i.e. unclean animals. What an interesting coincidence. Honestly, circus certainly encapsulates the climate of the plethora of conflicting Christian cults who, by private interpretation, are unable to all come together. All criticize each other's different beliefs while all claiming to base those conflicting suppositions on the Bible. Viewing Christianity objectively, one can only conclude, honestly that is, is they're not based on the Bible at all, as they claim, but rather on their particular interpretation. Unfortunately, since the first century, much paganism and tradition was incorporated into Christianity's exegesis or interpretation of the scriptures. Which brings up the $64,000 question, is that really kosher? Will the Creator hold Christianity and its adherents guiltless for rejecting much of his Torah, which means instruction, by the way, and subjecting what little they do accept to their own private interpretations? Even though we have historically seen the church keep a tight rein on the scriptures, such a concept did not originate with Christianity. The church's hierarchies, control, and manipulation of Bible scripture, not to mention virtually all understanding, is by no means new. Protecting esoteric knowledge goes way back to the Babylonian and Egyptian priests who rapidly protected their secrets, the source of their power and control, not to mention their golden goose. Even the rabbinical or Jewish priesthood kept a very tight rein on what the common man was allowed to have as well. In fact, the first 15 popes were Jewish, according to Bible teacher Randy Weiss. A case in point is the Apocrypha books, which we'll later discuss. With that snippet of religious history, it's certainly no surprise to see the Catholics' unwillingness to allow the Codex book or canon of Scripture into the average layperson's hands, just as the Jewish priesthood did not. In fact, the Catholic Church early on strictly forbade the translation of their Latin scriptures into the common language, with Jerome's Latin Vulgate translation being the early church's translation of choice. 